Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The pandemic has taken a toll on a lot of businesses. Among the most visibly crippled in New Orleans have been restaurants, bars, live music venues, and most aspects of tourism. Less visible, but also hard hit, have been media outlets that rely on advertising. Print media was already struggling before the pandemic hit. A few weeks ago on Out to Lunch, our guest was the publisher of The Advocate. She told us how during the pandemic, when advertising dried up almost completely, to keep the newsroom running, the paper had to solicit donations from readers. If it's that hard to keep a well-funded major publication in business, imagine how much harder it is for smaller independent publications. One of the treasures of New Orleans independent print media is a free monthly magazine called Anti-Gravity. Anti-Gravity started publishing in 2004. It's grown from its early days as an underground rag covering the indie arts and music scene into a, an independent voice with carefully researched and well-written articles on politics, social justice, and the arts, along with food reviews and opinion pieces. The publisher and editor-in-chief of Anti-Gravity magazine is Dan Fox. Dan, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. I'm, uh, great to be here. One of the effects of the corona pandemic has been the overnight embrace by millions of people of working from home. Although working from home does effectively cut down on the chances of catching or passing on the virus, the social isolation that comes along with it, as well as the reduction in social contact outside of work, is taking a toll on many of us. Social interaction, live music, going to a sports event or a bar or a religious service, sharing close, intimate moments with other people, they're the kind of things that make us happy. So here's the dilemma. If our physical health depends on remaining apart from other people, which leads to social and emotional isolation, how can you make yourself feel happy? Well, there's an app for that. It's called Happy the App. You download Happy the App onto your phone and it hooks you up with someone who can talk to you about your problems, from loneliness to relationship issues to problems at work and pretty much anything else. The founder and CEO of Happy the App is Jeremy Fishback. Jeremy, welcomed out to lunch. Very nice to be here. Dan, right now, a lot of businesses with solid, dependable business models are reevaluating everything about how they operate, and that includes United Airlines and Macy's. So you're in good company at Anti-Gravity Magazine. Before COVID, you had what seemed like a fail-safe business model in New Orleans. You had a free magazine with quality local content that was supported by small businesses and advertisers. And many of those small businesses were also distribution hubs where readers could pick up the magazine. 
there is no way that you or anyone else could have predicted that all those bars and all those music venues and a bunch of restaurants and retailers would close down overnight, depriving the magazine of both revenue and distribution. Given that not even the most cautious business planner could have built this crippling eventuality into a possible scenario, how have you adapted? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, we've adapted a couple of ways. Um, one is we certainly uh, constricted our um, monthly output. Um, I think before COVID, we were at either 11 or 12,000 big uh, tabloid size issues every month. Um, of course, we reevaluated that. And um, post COVID, we started at 2000 and we reduced our, you know, physical footprint from a tabloid to what they call a pony tab. So that's like your standard eight and a half by 11 sized magazine or very close to it. So um, we just kind of uh, hunkered down in that sense. Um, and then, um, We've actually been blessed with, I would say, a couple of things. One is um, we tried a subscription model, which before COVID did not make any sense. I mean, why would you pay for something that you could just go to any number of places and pick up for free? Well, it turns out that we have a pretty dedicated fan base. Um, so once we started offering a subscription service, that has taken off um, pretty well, and it's it's not really what I would consider a full uh, replacement for all of the lost revenue, but it's certainly buying us time. And it's also one of those things where as our subscriber base builds, that kind of is its own thing that we can, you know, then turn to advertisers and say, hey, look at our subscriber base, which keeps growing. So that's been um, one area I think that we've been lucky is to shore up the lost ad revenue. And of course, I should point out that we have some really diehard advertisers who have been with us the whole time. Um, and I think that's as much as them just wanting to support what we do as much as them like wanting to get their own message about their own business out. So it's like we, we had our core base, um, which is, you know, kept the lights on. We had a little bit of a nest egg, which also bought us some time. The subscriber thing is happening. And then, um, I think what's also happening is you mentioned earlier that um, people are losing their social uh, ability to interact and go to a show. So I think one thing that anti-gravity is able to provide people in New Orleans and beyond now is, um, for example, you can't go see a band play at, you know, a bar, but we can feature a band um, we had a band called uh, Little Death on our August issue. And to me, these days the, with the pandemic and the lockdown, that is the show. So if you get a subscription to Anti-Gravity or if you can go find one because we do have a few distri distribution hubs. Um, and we've, we've oh, also right. been able to ramp up a few thousand issues from that original 2000, like April, end of the world. Well, that makes, that makes a huge <laughs> difference for people. They, uh... Now, Jeremy, the pursuit of happiness is one of our inalienable rights, along with life and liberty. Everybody wants to be happy. So in a business sense, you can't do any better than selling something everybody wants. And in your case, happiness is fairly affordable. Uh, happy the app is free to download and I can talk to somebody for 30 minutes, anytime, day or night, for $12. Now, $24 an hour is extraordinarily cheap for therapy, 
But Happy the App doesn't actually seem to be therapy. It also doesn't seem to be just a supportive friend who's going to listen to me and agree with everything I say. It seems like you might be creating something unique in mental health care. How do you describe the kind of support that a caller that Happy the App will get? Um, that's a great question. Um, they're going to get emotional support, which is the essential ingredient of mental health. And we would define it very simply as undivided attention, compassion, and encouragement. And as you said, it's not therapy. Um, this is peer-to-peer -peer support. And we say colloquially that we're connecting people to the most caring people in the country. And Jeremy, where do you get these caring people? I mean, it must be a quite a selection process. Yeah, um, that, that, that's another great question. Um, the, the, the inspiration for a lot of this idea came from my interactions in New Orleans with um, extremely caring, compassionate, uplifting people. I was meeting in coffee shops and, and in my neighborhood. And now, now that we're more of a national company and are partnering with large health insurance companies, we're looking a little more for people who have some kind of background in healthcare, whether it's peer support, social work, community health. Um, and then we have our own vetting process that um, is, is very selective and, and, and only admits people who score in the top 10% of a lot of measures of your ability to provide emotional support effectively. So all that is to say, when you, when you speak with happy support givers, it's going to feel like, it actually will feel like a friend to just somebody who you haven't met yet, um, but, a, but a really caring friend. It, it, one of the things that got me in the research was that that 95% of them are women that uh, that, I, that you choose in this. Uh, um, why wouldn't, uh, why don't men do as well in this? I mean, that's, uh, I'll say it again. Um, very, very astute question. Um, I, they, they do a lot of research on intelligence, as you, as you probably know. We hear a lot more about how people fare on IQ tests, but they actually do emotional intelligence um, assessments too. Um, I think women may, um, if I'm not mistaken, generally score a little higher than men. And there's, there may be a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think a lot of the, first of all, we, we, have, we have amazing men who are support givers as well. Um, I think that um, a lot of the women who we, we've recruited have, have come to us saying, I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, I've been emotionally supporting my family, friends, significant others, strangers. And um, it's amazing that, you know, I can do this for, for a job. Um, but but we, we certainly are, are very proud to be a women-led organization, even though I'm a guy. And I think... Uh, I think more companies ought to be. And Dan, I was thinking about this. Uh, I pick it up, uh, your your newspaper, your magazine, uh, whenever I can. But who is the, oh, it's great. And who is the readership, though? I guess when you're talking to advertisers, how do you describe that's, it? That's a great question. I would say that our readership um, is anyone who is equally horrified, amused, and invested in the greater New Orleans landscape. Um, we don't do any auditing uh, for like our demographic. We have no target demographic. I think our target demographic is just people who like to read, you know, people who appreciate, you know, monthly publications. Um, because 
um, I'll just say real, like anecdotally, you know, when Stein's Deli used to be open, I would sort of secretly be able to watch people pick it up. And it was never who you'd think it would be who would pick it up. So, I mean, our readership is, is just anybody who looks at that magazine and says, hey, I, I want to know more about what's in there. And when you're uh, talking to advertisers, you, they, they probably want to know about uh, age and things like that. Uh, I guess it's tough to do something like this when you've just got it on the, the, the rack out. Front. I have to say, I mean, we're a mission-driven organization um, and we're a business as much as we recognize that you know, money and currency is like a resource and we need that resource to fuel this mission. Um, but at the end of the day, I sort of take kind of a naive approach, which is that we're going to focus on the quality of publication. Like we're going to just put out the best publication that we can and hope that our readership respects that effort and that the advertisers will pick up on that as well. So it, it really, I've really never, I've really never sold an ad, you know, trying to uh, pinpoint a demographic or do kind of maybe traditional publication type sales tactics. Um, and I don't, maybe that keeps us poor. I don't know, but um, we're still here. So some of that works. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dan Fox, publisher and editor-in-chief of Anti-Gravity Magazine, and Jeremy Fishback, founder and CEO of Happy the App. Now, Jeremy, when I'm picturing the folks we're talking about here, they're probably not at the extremes. Uh, they're not, for instance, somebody who has serious mental issues or maybe is contemplating suicide. That isn't who you're going for. No. We're, 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 we're here for the everyday struggles of life, but when you, you add them up, whether it's struggle of mine that inspired happy, which was going through a divorce or just parenting, chronic health issues, financial issues, um, relationship issues, um, grief, uh, there's just, um, th th there's a lot of uh, life presents um, a lot of struggles. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right though, that, that happy is not a, a clinical service for people with severe mental health issues. We actually have a, an automatic transfer to the national suicide prevention lifeline that fortunately we have not had to use more than um, a couple times and thousands and thousands of calls. But, um, yeah, it's for, it's for the everyday struggles of life where for a lot of people, including me, um, it can be hard to find somebody who, when we just hit a button, we're going to hear their voice and they're going to be dying to hear from us. And they're going to want to hear every detail of whatever's on our mind. That's, that's becoming increasingly difficult. You know, I read a book kind of about this that I loved. It was called Bowling Alone. And uh, just the idea that we just don't have the social interaction we did. I mean, way before COVID, is there something that's, that's causing this more than, more than anything else. Yeah, we're actually um, writing a book on this now, and, and we we thought a lot about it. We're, we're um, one of many groups thinking about it, and it, it's a lot of things. I mean, if you look at um, my family, I mean, the first thing is just just geographic dispersion. I grew up in a small town in Indiana. My parents are still there. One brother's in D.C., the other's in San Francisco. I'm here. This is us following our our, our pursuit of happiness. And then in a state of 
um, I guess, separation. I think that the tools we've developed, particularly social media, have proven to be, um, you know, not all that effective. They're they're effective at allowing us to connect with many, many people and consume a lot of content. They're not effective um, necessarily in helping us maintain, cultivate strong, intimate, supportive relationships. And the fact that, you know, when my brothers and I communicate, we're not actually talking to each other about the details of our life. You know, they're sharing onion articles with me or <laughs> that that is now what substitutes for genuine supportive human connection. And that's, you know, it, it, it's great uh, when it doesn't replace the, the real thing, but unfortunately, um, a lot of it's kind of empty calories. And that's why we now have epidemics of isolation, anxiety, et cetera. Now, Jeremy, the only thing I know about rural Indiana I learned from John Mellencamp's songs, but um, they uh, is it different for this, this situation with urban and rural areas? I mean, I would think there would be more isolation in a rural area, but is it's funny. I guess you could be in a city but still be alone with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, when I came to New Orleans, uh, I was I'd been in New York City for 13 years and I've never been more alone. Um, it's one of these. It's an interesting phenomenon where when 99.9 percent of the people you encounter are strangers, as is the case in New York City, you you develop a real sense of solitude. Um, you, you may go back to an apartment. Um, and have somebody there you're related to or a friend, but the world becomes strange to you. And so a lot of our callers are calling from major metropolitan areas, and you're absolutely right. Uh, You can be surrounded by people and and feel relatively alone. I think one of the things that surprised me when I first picked up anti-gravity is the quality of the writing is very, very good. Do you pay these writers? Yes, actually... um... We do pay, we pay for all content and all labor. Um, uh, often what I say is unfortunately it's competitive with the rest of the field, which is terrible because the field doesn't pay, at, you know, I mean, writers are telling you this no matter what the media outlet, but yeah, we absolutely pay for content. And of course you're in an interesting position because you're the publisher and the editor. So you've got to look out for the the business side of it and the, and the quality. Does that, is that a... Um... What is that, those dueling roles like? Do you have to fight with yourself? Th- thankfully, well, I'm, I am a Gemini, so I've kind of been grown up used to having multiple personalities within <laughs> myself that I contend with often. But um, uh, but it really has, it always comes down to the singular mission of um, what we're trying to do with anti-gravity. I mean, anti-gravity is kind of the dream of like a 16-year-old kid who was me just wanting to like put out, I mean, when you introduced anti-gravity in the beginning, you said it started as a rag. Well, I'm here to tell you today it's a rag. I mean, I, I consider that a, you know, a badge of honor. Like we are just a pulpy monthly kind of unfiltered, sometimes a little rough around the edges, you know, rag. Um, and that's, that's the, you know, that's the, the medium, that's the mission. And like I said before, I mean, the money is just, important enough to keep that going you know we're not um sometimes i think other other you know like what is the what is the purpose of of a business or publication is it to keep itself going or is it to pay the salaries and the rent of the people who are running it so um our primary mission is 
the mission. It's the, the publication. So um, that's, that's how we keep it going. Um, and the money just kind of, it sort of works itself out. And then, you know, we also get creative with a couple of things, you know, subscriptions, we're going to do a little merch thing, uh, closer to Christmas, you know, little things like that. And also just, uh, always hustling ads from people who can afford it. And Dan, I always think that, um, I love print, but advertisers are moving more and more to social media. Do you, do you see yourself leaving print or, uh, Anti-gravity is the dream of like me as a 16 year old growing up in the nineties, just being completely enamored by the underground scene of New Orleans and beyond. And um, there's so many reasons that print is important to me and the editorial staff and the writing staff. I mean, uh, the online reading experience is so aggressive and antagonistic towards the reader. I mean, you're looking at anything you look at online and I, I read stuff online. I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm not a Luddite, you know, I get it. You know, we're, we're in the era that we're in and anti-gravity is multi-pronged, but um, at the end of the day, looking at something online digitally is like looking through a peephole in a door. Like you can only see so much and it's, it's looking right back at you. You know, you're, you're reading something online and it's getting all this information from you at the same time. Um, and it's a little bit, that's to me is kind of a toxic relationship. So print, one, one reason that print is important to me and the anti-gravity staff is that um, the a reading something on print, on paper, you know, the light is different. You're not staring at a light bulb. Um, we're not collecting information from you. You are, you get to see the entire landscape of the magazine. You get to read it at your pace. You get to kind of like look at the pictures and the, the pull quotes. I mean, that's a completely different reading experience. So that's something that's always going to be critically important. And like I always tell all the contributors and everything, like the print edition, that's the thing. That's what we do. Everything else is in service to that print copy that you eventually hold in your hands. Jeremy, I've been thinking of all the things you're facing. Uh, first of all, I was going to ask you, do you, do you use a phone or Zoom or both? I, well, um, I actually, let me, if I may, just for a minute, I just want to respond to Dan because I haven't said anything to Dan. I just say, Dan, I, I love um, anti-gravity and I, oh, I, I can't, you. I can't help but draw the connection between what we're doing because I think we're both, um, in a sense, I don't want to speak for you, looking back to an earlier time when, um, in my experience, thing, things were better, people read, um, just as a matter of course, like print publications, and I remember reading a lot of newspapers, magazines, uh, which, which we don't do a lot anymore, and, and for me, it was about communicating one-on-one, heart-to-heart with the, the people closest to me and and in the early mid 2000s as that started to disappear i think that i um have been think long before i started working on happy i've been um, doing a lot of things to just kind of draw a line in the sand where I, i'm happy with the progress to this point and i don't need um all the things or a lot of the things that have come after that so anyhow just want to commend you and say it's oh. An Thank honor you. to be uh, Appreciate that. sharing a Zoom with you. Yeah. Um, Peter, to answer your question, <laughs> um, the primary way that people access Happy is through a mobile app, um, Android, iPhone, just searching for Happy the app. And we can include the, the download link for your listeners. Um, when we partner with health insurance companies, 
we have a, we're, we just rolled out to a couple million uh, Medicaid members actually in the state of Florida, where we're hoping to, to start um, a partnership here in Louisiana, but people can call what amounts to a toll-free number from their phone without downloading the app. Um, but, they, but these are voice-to-voice -voice conversations. They're not video to this point. And the reason is that um, paramount to our goal of facilitating you know, really honest, open conversation is, is having the caller and our support giver feel um, uh, an impervious sense of privacy and confidentiality. And so uh, when we tested out video concepts, um, people didn't feel as, as private, as safe, and people were having to put on makeup before the call. So we just found that as lovely as it is to see um, y'all's faces here um, on, on our calls, we find that just voice-to-voice -voice communication um, establishes connections very quickly and and also maximizes a sense of privacy. You know what I was thinking is, you know, you've become kind of the uh, Uber of mental health, which is a, a compliment. And uh, But I'm wondering... Uh, when you call in, you don't get the same person each time, right? No, you you you, you can. Not, not necessarily. You favorite support givers you want to reconnect with. And when you call back in, soon you'll be able to schedule appointments with them. Now you get preferentially routed to them when they're online. So most of our callers are, are connecting and reconnecting with um, support givers who they have favorited, but it's typically not one. So it's not, it's not a crisis line where you get a different person every time. It's also not a, a therapy model where the goal is to match you or a coach with, with a single person. The idea here is helping people rebuild primary support systems of family and friends that for a lot of people don't really exist. So you need multiple people in that support system for it to be effective. So you can favor as many support givers as you want. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to stay informed. Dan and Jeremy, both of you are making every effort to contribute to the sum total of human happiness and education. <laughs> now, Dan, there are a lot of New Orleanians who appreciate the role anti-gravity plays in the media landscape. They're very grateful for the magazine, and they're not going to let it go away. Jeremy, as your business gets gets bigger, I'm looking forward to the national press covering you and declaring definitively that happiness comes from New Orleans. Uh, thank you both, Dan and Jeremy, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Hey, thanks, Peter. It's an honor. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dan Fox, publisher and editor-in-chief of Anti-Gravity Magazine, and Jeremy Fishback. He's the founder and CEO of Happy the App. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Anti-Gravity and Happy the App by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. And you can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. 
sometime soon we're gonna go back to hosting out to lunch around the real world lunch table. Until then, Commander's Palace is open for dinner seven nights a week and brunch on the weekends. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit hancockwhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. The It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 